begin to just proclaim that Jesus is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and might, honor, glory, and blessing. Jesus is worthy to be worshiped. He's worthy to be followed. He's worthy to be honored. He's worthy to be adored. And church, when you when you come into taking communion and you and we look to the cross and we look to who Jesus is and what he did for us on that cross for salvation. Like, man, I'm just, I'm in this place even this morning to say, man, where is, where is that true conversion? Like, like the enemy is, is tight and the enemy is real and the enemy is a liar and he's a deceiver and is really good at it. That if the enemy actually got you somehow to buy in that I'm a good person and that should be good enough. Oh, I actually believe this and many roads lead to heaven. There's just such a lie in that. And here we're together at Believer's Chapel under the preaching of God's word, under the song of worship to say worthy is the lamb who was slain. Jesus would have never had to come if there was ever a plan B. One plan and only one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. Church, what happens when we truly believe that? What happens when that's our conversion story? What is your conversion story? I knew my sin, and I had to repent for my sin because Jesus Christ went to a cross for me, put himself on a cross that he gave me access to eternal life. It's because of his death, burial, and resurrection that he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and no one else could have because no one else was innocent as Jesus Christ was innocent. That's my conversion story, and it's Jesus, and I've called on his name. I've called on his name to be saved for no other name saves. Church, what happens when you bring this thing down to a biblical truth? For me to stand here this morning and say, do you know Jesus? Can you confidently say, can you, can you confidently say, do you know? No, I am born again. No, I am saved. I am safe from the wrath of God. Jesus took that hit for me. I am a follower and I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm living for him. Everything goes through the lens of who he is in my life. I, whether I eat or drink or whatever I do, I do for his glory. Like, does your life reflect the life lived for the one who died for you? Is this our conversion story? It is always a concern that we can just try to slim by and I go to church and I do my thing but you've never really come to grips to the really true work of the cross. I've gone, as you know, I've been going through the book of Revelation and just, it's been so good. It's been so good because it has been a true reminder of who's actually in charge. When you look to the end, you see God has always been in charge. He's in charge now and he always will be in charge. There's never, church, when we look at the cross, we have to realize and understand there's never a moment, not one moment ever that God isn't in control. You mean as his son got tooled up, his son tied to a post, his son whipped and beaten where he couldn't be recognized as a human being, his son hanging on a cross because they hammered nails through his wrists and through his feet and hung him on a cross. Like God's in charge of all of that? Yes. There's never a moment, never a moment that God hasn't been in control. <laughs> and man, what happens when you realize that? 
what happens when you get to the end and man, I've had such a great time in Revelation. I'm almost done. I got one more day to go for Revelation 22, but I was on Revelation and just kind of just really truly going through this. And to have that understanding that man, there there is a day in Revelation 20, there's a day that you've got and I don't want to get too deep on this because I've got to preach, but there's, it's called the unholy trinity. You've got Satan, you've got the Antichrist, and then you've got the false prophet. Three who do come with power in the end. They have authority in the end. I believe in the rapture. I believe that we're gone because we don't go through the, the wrath of God. There's a difference between persecution. That's for those who believed in Jesus. Persecution comes from man because of our stance for Jesus. Punishment comes from God for those who've rejected Jesus. There's a huge difference. I believe we're gone. But you see that at the end, there's this amazing place in Revelation 19. It just says this. Then it says this. From the mouth, this is Jesus. He's coming uh, for the second coming. He says this. His mouth comes a sharp sword. So that with it he will strike down the nations and he will rule with them with an rod of iron and, and treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried out with a loud voice saying with all the birds that fly in the mid heaven, come assemble before the great supper of God. And he, and he tells the birds, just be prepared because there's going to be a feast and you're going to feast on all of the dead men. Watch this. And then he says this, then I saw the beast, that's the antichrist and the kings of the earth. Those are the rulers of the political system and the religious system and, and their armies assembled to make war against Jesus who sat on the horse and his great army behind him. Guess what church? That's us. We get to come on white horses with white robes behind the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And a sword comes out of his mouth and we see what takes place. And there's one verse for the Antichrist and the false prophet. It's verse 20. And the beast was seized. It's just that simple. Like there's, there's no explanation to that. This is the Antichrist who's led so many. This is Satan's right-hand man in the, in the tribulation time. This is the Antichrist who comes to lead and brings peace for three and a half. And then God's tribulation for three and a half. And it's a crazy time. And he's an evil man. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, boom, one verse. The beast was seized and the false prophet. And they were placed in the abyss in the lake of fire. End of story in a paragraph. You're like, ha. Huh. Well, I'd love to know how that happened. Like, that would be amazing to see. An angel shows up and poof, just, all right, dude, you're with me now. Like, the reality is, who's in charge? And then you see verse 20. I'm in chapter 20. And then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand and laid hold of the dragon. That's, that's, Satan. that's the serpent of old who was the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. It's just like Satan has his time and he has his reign and he is the prince and power of the air now. But there is just a simple little end game where his right hand man is just boop, seized, thrown in the lake of fire for eternity, forever. And there's a short time after that, that an angel, just to be that angel, could you imagine that assignment to this unnamed angel? Grab the chain. Go get them. Go wrap up that serpent of old. Go put him in chains. Could you imagine that angel going, I've been waiting. I'm the one. This is great. 
Because you got to remember, Satan, who was Lucifer, was an angel and took a third. This angel knows very well Lucifer. This angel knows very well who Satan was. And to get a crack at him, oh, give me that chain. And he just goes, wraps him up. Throws him in the abyss for a thousand years. And you just, again, when you, when you read the, just the simplicity of this, you're like, man, it is a great reminder. No matter what we're going through in this season, in this crazy season of what we're going through with politics and the different things and the different crazy and the different lies and the different deception and just the things that are taking place with our children and just the, the lies and the confusion, like all of this, you have to come to be reminded once again that God's in charge. When you truly read through Revelation, you see God's in charge and you see his wrath and you see his punishment. And in that, it drove me, literally church, it drove me to my face just to be amazed by his grace. Lord, I'm saved. I have been delivered and I have been rescued. God, you love me. Jesus, you put yourself on a cross for me. Matthew 26, we see where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and he's on his face before the Lord and he's crying out to the Father. Hey, if there's any other way, hey, can this cup pass from me? And this is proof that God's always been in control. God's always been in charge. Yes, we see an army come to arrest Jesus. Yes, we see him go through different courts and different hearings and different trials. Six different illegal trials, every one of them illegal. Six different trials. And there he is, hanging on a cross. He's been so beaten, he's been so battered, he's been so shredded, he's been so whipped that flesh has been removed from his body. So much so that he can't hardly breathe joints are dislocated. Every time he had to breathe, he had to rub his, his naked back up against a rugged cross just to take a breath every time with every joint, with the joints of shoulders and maybe even knees out of joint. And, and, and every time, listen, when you understand this, it's like God's in charge of that. There's never a moment that God hasn't been in charge. Never, not once. God used the army who arrested Jesus. God used Pilate, Herod, and all of the Sanhedrin, and all of the trials, and, and the chief priests, and all, God used every one of them, being God, being in charge, going, it has to happen this way. Father, is there any other way? Come on, let this cup pass from me. This is Jesus, 100% man, drips like blood of sweat, in complete agony, where he's like, come on, is there another plan? No answer from the Father. Father sends an angel to encourage his son. Church, God's in control. When you come to the table of communion this morning, if you just open your cups, please, that you are once again reminded of the beauty that even as Christ was on a cross for me and you, shredded, physically shredded, unrecognizable as a human being,
that that was God's plan for me? Seriously? You had to go, that, that was your plan? God, that, that, that's you being in control? That you caused that punishment on your son? Church, when does this get personal for you? When does this become real for you? When do we have an understanding? This is what Jesus did for me. Man, I owe him everything. It shouldn't be difficult to worship. It shouldn't be difficult to respond to him in obedience. It shouldn't be difficult to be able to give it out of obedience. It shouldn't be difficult to get on our face and be able to cry out to him. It shouldn't be difficult to get before him day after day because this is what he did for you and me. When does this thing become real? When does this, for you to, to stand up and say, no, I, I'm a follower of Christ and I'm not ashamed of the gospel because he wasn't ashamed of me on that cross. He did that for me. God the Father did that for me. And at all times he was in charge. Is there any other way? But not my will. But let your will be done. And the soldiers come and they arrest him and they tune him up and they shred him and they strip him naked and they strip him of his flesh, hang him on a cross. And he says, it is done. What I've come to accomplish has been accomplished. Without the shedding of the blood, there could be no forgiveness of sins. To know, man, no, that's me. That's my story. I'm free because of Jesus. I'm free because of Jesus. And Jesus just simply says, don't forget it. When you come to the table, remember what it took. This morning, I want us to remember the Father's always in charge, and he was in charge then. And it was for you, and it was for me. Come on, bow your heads for a moment. Do you know Christ in this moment right now? Are you assured of your salvation? Do you know Jesus is Lord and Savior? Do you know he who has the Son has life? He who does not have the Son does not have life. It's just that simple. If you come to know Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us on the cross, that he is the doorway, that he is the answer, that he is the truth, and that he is the only way, and that sacrifice was for you, for our sin, that we would repent from our sin, turn to a holy God, and acknowledge Jesus Christ, and believe in Christ as my Savior and as my Lord, and we would confess to him that he is master and sir, and I surrender. If we've done that, then we have full access. He who has the Son has life but he who does not have the son does not have life do you know Christ as Lord and Savior have you come to know him as Lord if you're in this place and you don't know Jesus and you know this is my time and this is my moment I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I don't have Christ in my life I've never confessed my sin I've never repented and turned from my sin. I never really had a full belief in Jesus and Jesus alone. And in this moment, I want to surrender. I want to surrender. But it's on you in this moment. Nobody can do this for you. It's on you in this moment right here and right now. To say, Lord, forgive me. I turn from my sin. I acknowledge my sin. And I turn from my sin. Jesus, you're it. I trust you. I believe in you. 
And in this moment, I surrender to you. I know that you are Lord. I'm asking simply that you be Lord of my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for forgiving me. I surrender. Come on, this is your moment. No games today. This is just a real moment for you to say, I need, I need Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to know I have eternal life. And Jesus is the doorway and I'm walking through it. Come on, take the bread, please. On the night that he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead, please. And then take the cup. He says this, this is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Go ahead, please. Can we just raise one hand to the Lord, please? Father, we love you so much. We thank you. God, you are so good to us. God, you are so good to us. I thank you that we reminded again that, God, you were in charge and you were in control with your son on a cross. That is the depth of your love for the lost, for that which you created. Father, thank you. We remember what it took for us to be free, for us to be saved. Come on, just with your eyes closed. Katie's just going to close us out. Come on, let's just take a moment, please.
was slain to receive power, riches, wisdom, and might, honor, glory, and blessing. Church, when you truly know the price that was paid for you and I, it's just, it's not hard to worship. It's not hard to celebrate him. It's not hard to be consistent in church, to come to the family. It's not hard to be able to be obedient in our tithes and offerings. It's not hard to give. It's just not. It should never be a struggle knowing what he gave for us. It should never be a struggle to walk unashamed of the gospel, to stand firm and be bold like a lion. We should be that people. We should be the ones who stand against the evil. We should be the ones who stand against the the wrong of this day for the name of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. That shouldn't be complicated, church. It shouldn't be difficult to be bold and unashamed of the gospel, that which we are saved by. It shouldn't be difficult. We are his ambassadors. We represent him. And there's a day that we get to see our king face to face. There's a day that we could stand in his very presence face to face to King Jesus. And to see the one who put himself on a cross for me. To know we have done everything possible to live for him here. Unashamed of the gospel. Unashamed of his name. Unashamed of the word of God. Unashamed of the truth. And ready for a fight. And ready to battle. And ready to stand firm for the protection of his word. Because so many people need Jesus. So many people need Jesus. Your friends, your family, the people you work with, if they have Christ, they have life. If they don't have Christ, they will not have life. This is a reality for us. Revelation has brought out so much again for me. And man, it is truly his amazing grace. Come on, Father, we love you. Speak to us today in Jesus' name. Come on, amen. I got a feeling that Seek is going to be crazy tonight. I just got a feeling that it's going to be amazing. Do not miss Seek tonight. Maybe I'll speak a little bit on just us being bold. Maybe that'll come out tonight. We'll be ready to fight tonight. You ready to fight tonight? Who's ready to fight tonight? Right? Come on, let's battle. I'm excited for tonight. Some of you are like, I don't want to fight. I don't, I'm, not, I'm a peaceful person. Well, let, gear up, baby. Let's go. We wear armor on purpose, and then we're going to battle. Come on. Here we go. Here we go. Again, thank you for being here today. we got to cruise through this, and uh, I'm going to kind of park on one verse. I'm excited for this one verse because, church, if you hear this one verse, we're going to go to a lot of verses, but if you hear the one verse, the main text that we preach from in James I'm telling you, please hear me. This will rearrange every relationship in your life. This will rearrange your marriage. This will rearrange your parenting. This will rearrange sons and daughters to their parents. This will rearrange brothers and sisters. This will rearrange what you have in the relationships at the workplace. This will rearrange friendships that you have. Like there is one verse that if we, if we grab a hold of this one verse and we really grab it, like, okay, I got to live this verse, then you, you got to understand if I do this, there's going to have to be change. 
I love it. We've talked about faith on display. This whole series through James is faith on display. If you're new to Believer's Chapel, we're taking a slow walk through the book of James. We're going to be in this for a season, man. We're going to be in this for a while. And I love it because it is a book that motivates. It's a book that gets its hands on the back of us and pushes us exactly where we need pushed. It's a book that will, uh, that will really read us as we read it. It's amazing when it does that. And it's just like, ah, wow, I need to, woo, I need to get into this. I need to do this. It's a book that says go and do. And this is one verse. One verse. If you grab this verse, it will rearrange every relationship you have. Come on, James 1, verse 19. It's just this. It's just this simple. And it simply just says this. Get your highlighters out. There's three parts to this. And we're going to pre preach a three-part message based off of this three-part. This actually probably could be three weeks, but we don't got time. We're snipping it in in about 25 minutes. We'll get her done. Come on, watch this. Verse 19. This you know. Highlight that. Right off the bat, this you know. This you know. Like this is something we should know. Right? If James is telling us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this you know, then I'm guessing that this is something that we should know. Ha. Like, okay, if it says this you know, my question is, do I? Okay, if you're telling me I know this, maybe I should find out if I know this. I love that. Because we can read through this one verse and just zip through and read through the book of James. And I love, please hear me, man. I love hearing from you. The election, I have loved this. I have gone into the book of James and I have reread it. And I'm excited because I'll reread it again. And I realize it's in letter form. So I read all five chapters and I just, and man, I'm, and I love that you're loving us going through one book at a time right now, going through James a verse at a time. And, and when, it's not going to be a verse at a time. We're going to get on some speed dial here, here soon. But it's just like, I love to hear from you that you're reading through James. And then you stop on verse 19. It says, this you know. And again, you hear me say it often. When you read scripture, ask questions. When you read the Bible, ask questions to yourself. This you know. Do I? Do I know what's about to be said? This you know. My beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to listen or quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to be angry. Those three things. This you know. You know what it is to be quick to listen. You know what it is to be slow to speak. You know what it is to be slow to anger. And, and I love that we can park on this and unpack this in three different sections going, what's it mean to be slow What's it mean to be quick to listen, quick to hear? Because if the Bible tells us you should know this, then I'm guessing that we should know this. So here we're to learn together and to know this. And this is what it says. These three things, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. This will rearrange every relationship you have. This will rearrange how we communicate to one another. This will re re rearrange what your marriage looks like. Are you listening? Are you quick to listen? Are you slow to speak? Do you talk too much? Do you not shut up? So many times you're around people, you're like, would you just please stop talking? Just shut up. Stop talking. Would you just listen to me, please? Shut up. Like, I'm, I'm not saying to tell people to shut up, but sometimes you need to tell people to shut up. Like, just sometimes, right? You just don't stop talking. The one person who controls the whole room, they just don't stop talking, right? It's that. Like, hey, would you stop, please? You think you have more important things to say than everybody else in the world? Probably not. So it's just like quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. 
And I've, I've been going through this and, and, and slow to be angry. We're going to look at that, but it literally means a cool spirit. I've, I've put the title to this whole message, what it means to have a cool spirit. So I think if you have a cool spirit, what's it mean to have a cool spirit? I know you Bengals fans thought Joe was cool. He wasn't that cool, right? He got pounded. But anyways, um, like what is it to have a cool spirit? When, you, when your spirit keeps getting angry and, and fired up, there's this amazing word called cool spirit or calm. And when you're calm, then you have an ear to hear. And when you're calm and you have a cool spirit, you're very careful on the words that you speak. You don't control every conversation. You're actually slow to speak. Wouldn't it be amazing if you just looked at somebody and said, you didn't think about what you were saying. You should have thought before you spoke. Like, take a minute, stop, shut up, think, and then speak. Do that. That would save a lot of time. Now let's look at this. Come on, number one is this. What it means to be quick to hear or quick to listen. The big idea of this first part of this, to be quick to listen, is this. Is to be a person who's teachable. To be one who wants to be taught. The, The one who is quick to listen, he doesn't know it all, and he knows he doesn't know it all. And again, I want you to get this because I want this to rearrange your marriage. I want this to rearrange your relationships. I want this to rearrange your parenting. I want this one verse to rearrange you as a son and a daughter on how you respond and honor your parents. I want this to rearrange your workplace relationships. I want this to rearrange how you honor that you, the one that you work for or the group that you work for or the company that you work for. Because this is one of those things going, am I teachable? Do I go into it thinking I know it all, that I have all the answers? Am I teachable? Come on, Proverbs 18, please. Let's just, we're going to be in Proverbs for a little bit. Keep your finger in James 1, but we're going to be in Proverbs. Go to the middle of your Bible and turn left. That's going to be Proverbs. Or turn right. It depends on where the middle of your Bible is. So wherever, go to the middle and you'll find Proverbs. Turn to Proverbs 18, 15. We're going to do a study through Proverbs today. And we're just going to hit some of these verses on what it means to have an ear to hear. And what it means to be one who listens. And probably most wives are like, preach. Like, speak to my husband that he needs to listen to me. Like, probably wives in this place, sometimes men, we get our ears plugged and we're like, nah, I got this. And we just like, sometimes we need to listen to our wives. I am guilty of that. I need to listen to my bride more. And it's this, Proverbs 18, verse 15 says this. And and Renee is like, just Sean, preach. Like, preach to yourself. I'm sure Renee right now is going, Sean, preach to yourself on this, and I have, but this is the deal. I love this. Proverbs 18, 15 says this, the mind of the prudent acquires knowledge. The mind of the prudent acquires, uh, the word prudent means one who has discernment, one who is a wise guide, one who is skilled in learning. That's what prudent means, right? An expert. That's what prudent means, Right? So the mind, the thinker of the prudent acquires knowledge and the ear. So it's our mind and our ear. And the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. The ear, the listening ear pursues. Like, be quick to listen. Like, when your ear is pursuing something, that means you're listening. You're listening to knowledge. You're paying attention. Your, your, your ear seeks. It pursues knowledge. Your ear, it doesn't have a voice. Your ear does one thing. It listens. It hears. That, that, that's what your ear is there for. God gave us an ear so that we may listen, so that we may hear. 
right? So when it says your ear seeks knowledge, it pursues knowledge, that means your ear, how it seeks and pursues knowledge is that you listen. That means I'm teachable. That means I don't know it all. I, I need to be in this place as a believer to say, God, show me Teach me, put me around the right people for counsel. God, help me to hear from your word. God, as I dive into your scripture, as I dive into your word, God, by your spirit that you would speak to me. God, I want to have an ear that hears. Right? He who has an ear, let him hear. Like that, that's what it is. You know what that means? Everyone who has an ear doesn't necessarily hear. You have to seek, you need to pursue, you need to allow your ear to be open to be one who says, okay. It's time for me to have a teachable spirit. It's time for me to not think that I know it all. It's time for me to walk in a place to say, no, I want to seek knowledge by listening, by hearing. And I hope that we can get through step one of what it is. You need to know this. You need to know what it is to be teachable. You need to know what it is to be quick to listen, like be a listen. When someone's speaking, pay attention. Listen to what they're saying. Gain some knowledge. That, that's, what, that's what this looks like. Come on, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 31. If you want, you can write down these and, and you can take a picture. I know many people get out their cameras and take a picture and you can go back and you can dive even deeper into these. And I, and I love this, Proverbs 15, verse 31. It says this. He whose ear listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. He's, he whose ear listens to life-giving reproof, like the one who says, no, I need to listen. I need to be, be quiet. I just need to listen to this life-giving reproof. Reproof means a correction. Isn't it amazing? And, and I know that I'm speaking to all of us here. Isn't it amazing that when you are being corrected, sometimes one of the first things you do is shut off your listening? Like one of the first times, if you don't understand, correction is good. You don't understand, I'm giving life, giving reproof. That is a correction. And in that correction, man, when you listen to that, the Bible says you're wise. We talked about wisdom last week. But I, I, again, I love this. When it's talking about this in Proverbs, Proverbs is God's advice. And when you see this in verse 31, he whose ear listens, we got to be quick to listen. I'm going to hammer on all three of these. Be quick to listen. Because when you are having that ear that listens to correction, you're like wise. So when someone is bringing a correction and they're doing it in grace and love, and watch this, please hear me, they're in a position to be able to give that correction. I don't listen to everybody who tries to correct. They don't have the authority, nor do they have the position, nor do I trust them. Please hear that. This is huge. This is huge. The ones who come to correct you better be in the right position to be able to correct you. Not just Joe Schmo from Kokomo can come off the streets and bring a correction to you who you don't trust and you don't know and they don't know your situation. They don't know your circumstance. Like he just can't come off. I don't know who Joe Schmo is, but he gets sometimes a good rap and a bad rap. But um, whoever Joe Schmo is, he just can't come into your life and bring a correction. Please hear that, right? Relationships are huge. Who you allow into your circle of influence is very important. This isn't, this isn't more of a preaching, this is more of a teaching, and I'm teaching this because I want you to grab this, man. I want you to get this because one verse will rearrange your relationships. This is how important this is. You've got to be very careful who you allow into your circle of influence that you give them the right to be able to correct you. Your boss automatically has the right to correct you because he's in that position of authority. 
Husband or wife automatically have that right to bring correction because they're in that place of authority. Mothers and fathers automatically have that right to bring correction to sons and daughters because they've been given that right of authority. When you come to a friendship relationship and you give them access to that circle of influence and you give them the right to correct because you know they love you and they always have the best for you, they have the right to correct you because you've given them that authority. But just don't let anybody come and just start downing you on correction when they have no place and they have no authority because that generally usually comes out of a place of arrogance. That generally is bred out of a place of either jealousy or arrogance when someone who doesn't have the authority and someone doesn't have the place to come in and give you correction, it's usually done out of jealousy or arrogance. I hope you're catching this. I hope you're catching this. Come on, Proverbs 3, 7. Proverbs 3, 7. We're still on point one. Man, we got a cruise. All right, Proverbs 3, 7 says this, and this is just simple. It says, do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not be wise in your own eyes, right? That means you don't know it all, and I promise you, you don't know more than God. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Come on, that's point number one. Point number two. Let's go back to James 1, please. Go back to James 1, and let's look at this. So point number one is be quick to listen. And everybody said amen? amen. Come on, everyone say, I'm teachable. There you go. There you go. There you go. We're getting this right. Be quick to listen. Number two is slow to speak. And we're going to get into, I know, I know James covers the mouth in detail and we'll get into that in, in a more deeper way of just, just the mouth. But church, what happens if we, and no show of hands, but how many times did your mouth get you in trouble? Don't show of hands, whether it's in your marriage. <laughs> Someone's like, I don't care. I'm, my hand is up. Like, I struggled. And it, I'm, she's probably in trouble now. Like, right now, I get it. Like, this is, I'm in the moment. Like, it's incredible. But when you, when, you, when, you, when you really look at this, go, man, I shot my mouth off. And they would say, well, you just put your foot in your mouth. Right? And, and when, you, when you understand that and when you look at that, right, you see this. Wow. This girl is here already. Okay, we got a cruise. We got to hit this. Come on, we got to hit this. Thank you. Are we so thankful for Miss Katie? It's beautiful. Come on. When we look, amen. Come on. I heard music and I'm like, oh, oh, woo. Come on, look at this. Slow to speak. Man, this is a doozy. And we'll hit this. We're going to spend more time on this here when, when we really hit it in the book of James. You know, your, your tongue is like a little rudder. Your tongue is like that spark. That, that just crushes a, a forest fire. Like we, we understand it's like the rudder of a ship. It guides and directs. This big thing is like a, a, a bridle in a horse's mouth directs where you go. Now what happens when you just look at this and say, okay, I want to be teachable. I want to be one who has a listening ear. But man, I want to be one that when I speak, what am I saying? That's a great question. If I'm called to be slow to speak, I need to be fast to hear, but I need to be slow to speak. So when I speak, what am I saying? When I speak, is there value to it? When I speak, is there truth to it? When I speak, do I speak from a place of flattery? That just ruins people. Do I just speak from a place of fluff? 
that you lose credibility when all you do is just speak fluff. You lose credibility quick. So what happens when I really take this as, as for real in my life, going, okay, be slow to speak. For when I do speak, it doesn't say don't speak, it says slow to speak. So do my words carry weight? Do my words carry value? Or has my mouth got me in trouble? Or have I said things that have caused me to lose my job because I've slandered and I've talked against the boss and I've talked against the system and, and or whatever that looks like. How many times, church, that when you just continuously speak, it will get you in trouble? Because please hear me, this is a huge piece to this, is every word you speak, you will be held in account for. For every word that is unrepented of. Why is it that there's so much about the words we speak? Death and life and the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You will be satisfied. Your life is a direct result of the words that you speak. Renee is amazing at this. Renee will speak in our home and she will speak to different individuals and, and when they start getting down on themselves and they start getting negative and they're just spitting out words, she's like, do you believe that? Do you want that to come true in your life? Man, it just stops people in their tracks that they got to think, ah, no, I don't, I don't really, I'm just talking. No, no, nothing like, you're like, the fruit of your words, you'll be satisfied with, good or bad, whether you like it or not. Proverbs 18 says the fruit of your words you will be satisfied with. You're going to like it or you're going to not like it, but you're going to have to live with it because your words are seeds. And this should just, this, I love this. This is such a quickening to our hearts to say, listen, be slow to speak. When I speak, do I actually have something to say? When I speak, what do I speak? What do I speak? Come on, real quick, Proverbs 17. Proverbs 17. I love this verse. This is a verse that I'm going through with some people. And it's just kind of one of those great verses that just pinpoints some things. And you can, you can look at the others here in a little bit. I'm sorry, not Proverbs 17. My bad. We're going to get to that in a minute. I want to close with that. Go to Pro You're in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 10. Proverbs 10. If you have a marker, you can put it in Proverbs 17. I'm not at the close yet. I should be, but I'm not. But we'll get there. Hold on. Come on. Proverbs 10. <laughs> I've really been trying for the 10, 20 mark. But communion, we take our time in communion. We never rush communion here. We know that. Come on. Proverbs 10, 19. I love this. It says this. When there are many words, highlight this, underline this, twistable this, get your crayon on this. Look at this. When there are many words, trans trans transgression is unavoidable. But he who restrains his words is wise. Man, doesn't that just make sense? Doesn't that just make sense? Like when, when James is telling us, man, be slow to speak. Watch every word that you speak. Restrain your words. Sometimes it's best just not to say anything. And in marriage, you've heard me say this in our marriage series, and I say it often in pre-marriage coaching and marriage coaching. Do you criticize more than you compliment? 
When you speak, what's coming out? If you are filled with criticism and all you do is criticize, and the criticism is four to one to the compliments, you're in a bad place. You're in a bad place. No one wants to hear you talk. If all you do is criticize, if you can't find a compliment to the people you work with, if you can't find a compliment in your marriage, if you can't find a and all you do is find the wrong and you speak out the criticism, sometimes it's just best to be slow to speak. Hold it to yourself. Why are we so critical? That's a negative spirit. Criticism comes from a negative spirit. There's a difference. Watch it, man. I, this is just great teaching. I ain't got a whole time, a lot of time to get it. There's a difference. Watch this now. There's a difference between criticism and correction. Right? There's a difference between criticism and correction. Correction is you want the best out of that person. Correction is, man, if you keep going in this direction, it's going to hurt you. And I love you. And I want you to understand the bridges out ahead. You need to correct course. This is something that you did wrong. I want you to correct this for your sake so it doesn't happen again. Criticism is just this place of negativity. Criticism is just pointing fingers. Criticism doesn't help anybody. There's a difference between criticism and correction. And if criticism outweighs the compliments, you're in a bad place. That comes from a spirit of negativity. There's something on the inside that needs to be plucked. There's something on the inside that needs to be fixed. Come on. Again, look at this. Verse 19. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. And when you're around people that they just can't shut up and all they do is talk, 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 they're headed for a crash. They will say something that causes them to stumble. They will say something that causes people to reject them. They will eventually say something that causes their path to veer. They will say something, watch this. They will eventually say, say something, transgressions around the corner. They will say something to the wrong person and their future is affected. Slow to speak. When there are many words, transgression is unavoidable. When you're around people and all they do is talk, 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 a crash is guaranteed. A crash is guaranteed. Man, we're just trying to put these puzzle pieces together when it says be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. And when I speak, what am I saying? And when I speak, why am I saying this? And when I speak, is anybody actually listening? Do they value the words that I speak? He who restrains his lips is wise. You write in Proverbs 10 and Proverbs 13. Real quick, Proverbs 13, 3. I want to just cover these. You can write them down. And, and again, it goes right all in line. I picked these very much on purpose and targeted. It says this. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. Isn't that the truth? The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The word guards, it means muzzle put a muzzle on it. He who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. Ha! Like that's just like load the shotgun and shoot. Like that's just like ah, that is okay. That's good. Like the one who guards his mouth preserves his life. If you are slow to speak and you know, oh, I could, I could say something right now, probably won't go well, so I'm going to shut my lip and I'm going to be quiet because if I guard my lips, I'm preserving my life. But if I just open wide my lips, if I just say whatever I want to say, then your life will be ruined. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. He who loves its fruit will eat it. 
Church, what happens when we really get a hold of this? And this is just a pregame to when we really get into speaking on the words that we speak. Real quick, Proverbs 21, 23. Proverbs 21, 23. We got a minute, then we got to close. And I still got to hit the last point, which is the title of the whole message. You see where this is going. All right, come on. Real quick, 21, 23 says this. He who guards his mouth and his tongue love this. He who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. There's a lot of times that we speak our mouth and trouble comes from the outside. But I love where we are, we at Believer's Chapel, so often we, we, we reference how's our soul? Like what, what is going on on the inside is a true reflection of what's happening on the outside. Because if the outside's crazy, but my inside is good, I'm good. But if my inside is crazy, most generally the outside is crazy. What you're telling me, if I guard, how much trouble do we cause the inside? How much trouble do we cause our soul? Because we just can't take the simplicity of what it is to be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. Guard your tongue. And in doing that, you're going to guard your soul. I love the depth of this. And we're going to cover what it means to be slow to be angry in one verse. Proverbs 17, please. Because I do believe that there is a, I believe that there is a, a deep issue with anger issues. And those who have a hot temper. It's not always, sometimes the men get pegged with that, being an angry man. But sometimes there are, the Bible, Proverbs speaks four places of the contentious woman. And that's the one who loves to argue. She's a vexing, hard, argumentative, contentious wife. She loves to argue. She loves strife. She's very difficult. She's very complicated in a sense of being difficult. That's a contentious wife. So the hot-tempered kind of goes both ways. Being a police officer, I've seen hot-tempered women and hot-tempered men, and I've seen both. If you, Ladies, if you're dating a man with an anger issue, if you're in the dating phase, my strong encouragement to you is to bounce. Let me help you in your future, please. When you get married, usually the anger issue multiplies. If he's on his best behavior now, Men, if you are dating a woman, all she loves to do is argue. All she loves to do is be that sandpaper. All she loves to do is just cause strife. Then why are you with her? I don't care how hot she is. That's off the table, right? You're going to have issues. This is real. Hot-tempered is real. Anger issues are real. That's a problem on the inside. When we understand, oh man, you got a problem on the inside, the outside's fine. Like the outside, he's got a job. The outside, sometimes he's nice. The outside, she's good looking. But on the inside, that problem is an internal problem. And when you start realizing the internal problems are the ones that multiply. The internal problems that's not dealt with, man, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be around that. I know it's just going to get worse. That's an internal issue. Anger issues are on the inside and they show up on the outside. Please hear that. Anger issues are an issue on the inside and it's going to show up on the outside. And I love this. Look at Proverbs 17, 
Verse 27, it says this. He who restrains his words has knowledge. He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. He who restrains his words has knowledge. And he who is of a cool spirit. If you have King James, it probably says an excellent spirit. Your version may say a calm spirit. Like when you go through this word cool spirit. You are, I want to be known as one who, listen, there's, there's seasons that we're called to be fired up. There's seasons we're called to, to fight in love. There's seasons we're called to stand firm on the word of God. There's seasons that we're called when there's serious child abuse taking place that we stand firm against that child abuse. Now, like there's so much that we are called to stand. We got to, tonight we got to hit some things. So if you're coming to seek tonight, just bring your sword, man. Bring your word because we're going to get into it. I just feel strong about that. When we, when we see this, what is it to be a cool spirit though? What is, it, what is it to be calm? I can be bold and I can be calm at the same time. I can have everything cool on the inside, but there are moments that we're called to be aggressive on the ins- outside, but I can be calm on the inside. It's not an anger issue. But for those who have an anger issue, we are called to have a cool spirit. That's just a fun name. Hey, cool down. What, ever heard that? Hey, cool down. Hey, I need a cool spirit. I need to be calm. I need to be even-tempered. Man, I need to have this excellent spirit that doesn't just blow up in a place of anger. Like, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to be angry. This you know. This is what we're called to. This is what we're supposed to know. And I love this. Watch this. What does it mean to be a man who's under self-control? And he who restrains his word has knowledge, and he who is a cool spirit is a man of understanding, even a fool when he keeps silent, is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered to have discernment or to be prudent. So church, where are we in these three? Come on, if you would just bow your heads, please. We've got to close it out. Don't miss Seek tonight, man. We're giving God February. It's going to be a great month. We're seeing some great increase here at Believer's Chapel. We're seeing God do mighty things here in this church. But even in a teaching like this this morning, when the Bible tells us, hey, Sean, you're supposed to know this. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to be angry. Are you teachable? Do you truly listen? Do you listen to the point of understanding what somebody is saying? I want to know what you're saying. What are you saying? I want to hear you. I want to listen so much so I want to know what you're, if I ask questions because I don't understand and I want, I have that, I want to understand what you're saying. I want to be quick to listen. I want to be slow to speak. I want to guard my mouth and my tongue because I want to guard my soul. Man, I want to restrain my words. Man, I want to guard my, my mouth. I don't want to cause my soul to be troubled. Man, and I want to be one that has a cool spirit. I want to be one who has an even temperament. I want to be a one who loses the anger. I want to be a one who's in self-control of that which is on the inside. Church, what is it to be in self-control? On the inside. On the inside. You deal with things so much better.
you see things through eyes that are calm, cool, and collective. You can think better when you have a cool spirit. You can respond better when you have a cool spirit. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and be slow. Don't rush to anger. Be slow to anger. Father, we love you. We thank you. We're amazed by you. As we dismiss, God, I just ask that this teaching would just sit into our spirits. We go back and review it. God, I think this is one of those teachings that can rearrange every relationship that we have. Every relationship that we have. Lord, thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us today. We love you. In Jesus' name. Come on, amen. Amen. Believers Chapel, thank you so much. You're dismissed. Come on. Um, We'll see you tonight, 6 o'clock. It'll be great. Hallelujah.